Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. My name is Matt Pierce. I am the Learning and Video Ambassador for TechSmith, and I am your weekly guide here as we go through the world of video and images, learning, development, customer education, technical documentation, and so much more. Glad to have you here watching with us today. We got a great guest coming up. His name is Mike Taylor. If you don't know Mike, you're going to want to know Mike because he is a wealth of information, and I know he loves sharing it. And of course, as we get started here, a couple things we'd like to talk about first. I do always like to mention the TechSmith. Academy is our free online learning platform. You can find it there. If you just search for TechSmith Academy, it will come up. And big news, guys, this week we launched a new course. It is basics of screen recording. It is 30 videos. And I know that sounds like a lot. It's about an hour's worth of content. It's going to walk you start to finish through the process of creating great screen recordings. It's not a Camtasia course. I, I want to be very clear. This is about the process of uh, things that you should do to get good results. Now, of course, I talk a little bit about Camtasia because that's the tool I use. However, the principles will apply to any tool that you're using with screen recording. Go check it out. Again, it's completely free. Go to bit.ly. Uh, bit.ly slash TechSmith Academy or just search for TechSmith Academy. You'll find us out there for sure. So as we get going here, a couple things I want to say before I introduce Mike to the to us all. Mike is, as I said before, Mike is someone you want to know. He's super knowledgeable. I mean, he's got over, I think he said two decades, two decades of industry experience with training and development. So he's been around, he's seen lots of trends. He, he knows that's not always the thing you want to follow. Uh, but he's also been a community manager with Articulate eLearning Heroes community. So he's seen a lot of great things there, what it means to be in a community. And if you want to learn something, you need to follow Mike because Mike is a super sharer. I don't know how he does it all. Like literally, he shares so much great information uh, that go follow him. You can find him at his website, mike-taylor.org, and we'll make sure we get that posted so you guys can find it. It should be in the descriptions already. So with that said, Mike, welcome today's to the Visual Lounge today. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Super excited to, to have a chat today. Yeah, absolutely. So Mike, uh, I said so a few things about you, but why don't you go ahead for our audience and just introduce yourself? Yeah, I don't know that I can do any better than what you've done. I'm, I'm going to like pay you to just f follow me around to places and give that introduction. So I'll be your we'll hype talk, man. We'll talk money afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I think I think you captured it. Like I, I, I sometimes feel, and maybe you've had this feeling too. Like you know, love love what I do, and and sometimes right, like it's working in a job that you enjoy is is worth a lot. Um, and so you know just the whole process of learning energizes me. And, you know, I love to, I'm also kind of maybe lazy, you know, it's maybe lazy or it's a fine line between lazy and efficient, right? Like finding better ways to do your work. And, you know, the, one of my worst dreaded, most hated things is like, you know, manual stuff, upload, download all the manual stuff and just ways to sort of improve your workflow and, uh, scale learning and all that sort of stuff. So uh, at heart, I just, just a big sort of learning nerd, I think probably sums it up best. Which is, which is not a bad thing, right? Like I, I think that's where I fall, although I probably don't learn nearly as much as uh, my colleagues, but I, I think it's, it's a good trait to, to always be learning and always trying to figure out how to do those things. For you, Mike, um, today's topic, we want to talk about designing for learning. Cause I mean, there's so many things you could potentially do. And I mean, this is a huge topic, but for you, are, are there base fundamentals? Like if you're going to go in and build a course for somebody or design some learning for someone, like, 
I know there's the basic stuff where you'd start, like you could do Addy, the Addy model or whatever, but like really at the end of the day, what what's the key for you to start designing something that's going to actually help someone learn? Well, I, I think for me, my, my, the two biggest things for me personally, everything sort of builds off these two things and it's, it's curiosity and, and empathy, right? So, so empathy with, okay, well, what are the people that we're speaking to or what are the people that we're trying to help? You know, what, what is their day? Like, what are they dealing with? What are they, you know, what's their environment? Like put yourself in those shoes, you know, what, what windows of time do they have available to be maybe away from their productive work? Like try to just take a snapshot as best as you can of what, what's their world like. And then, um, because I, I think that's something that gets missed, you know, more often than, than it probably should. And then the other thing is, is curiosity, right? Like I, I see some, some people sort of fall into the default. Well, you know, it's training and we're just going to do training. We're the training department and you sort of get stuck in the whole problem of, you know, I've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail sort of thing. And if you, if you keep those two things together, curiosity, well, is that really the right way? Or what if we did this? Or what are the other opportunities, right? Before you just, the train leaves the station and you're going down a path that may not be the right one. And so I think at the heart of, of everything that I try to do is, is those two things, empathy and, and curiosity, and then build from there. Well, I, I love that because I, I know oftentimes I'll talk about making videos and I talk about like, oh, know your audience. And I, I feel like perhaps that as alert like people that make training aren't that's not their first thought right like who's my account because maybe we take it for granted i kind of know my audience right like maybe they work inside my organization but I, I feel like marketers or product development teams they work have to work really hard to know their audience and it really matters so i'm wondering and i want to make sure we get to the curiosity stuff too but i'm wondering yeah what what has helped you to build empathy for the people that you're designing learning for? Is there something that you can, that you do or something that's helped you to make that connection with your, your audiences beyond just saying like, I'm going to go out and do like a survey. Maybe, maybe that's it though. Well, so it's not always possible. I'm going to come back to the marketing thing. Just so I want to kind of stick a pin in that, but if it's possible, so I'll give you an example. So for a long time, I used to work at a, at a power company. So electric company that, you know, big coal-fired power plants that you've probably driven by. And a lot of the the training that got pushed out was from, you know, corporate office in a big city with, you know, big, fast connections. And people would build these courses, and, they, and they'd be fine courses, but, but they would be these really high bandwidth, really rich multimedia stuff. And those people, they've never been to an actual power plant, which are typically out in the middle of nowhere, like literally nowhere. And there might be an entire power plant that's sharing a single 64K connection for everyone. And when you try to run that media rich stuff, it just, it just doesn't flat out doesn't work. And so, you know, if it's possible, right, just going to the places where your people are going to be is such a huge, huge benefit you go in a power plant and depending on where you're at it may be insanely loud and you can't hear anything so you know just understanding you know putting yourself in the shoes what's the environment like what are the people like is is invaluable if you can do it right and um fortunately 
if you go to one power plant, you've probably been to, you get the gist of, you don't have to go to everyone, <laughs> but, but, but getting to those places as much as possible is a huge benefit. Right. And, you know, kind of recognizing you can't always do that is just trying to build relationships and connect with actual people. So, you know, maybe it's a phone call and they can help you or, or just being open to feedback is another thing. You know, one of the things I've always tried to do is never put anything out that doesn't have some channel back. Oh, yeah. And if, 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 if you do one of these big courses and there's some way for people to communicate back to tell you, hey, like this video won't even load and here's why. Um, you know, I've talked to people who are reticent to, to enable that feedback, even just a simple form, like a comment form, leave it open-ended. You know, my experience, it's been 99% positive. Hey, there's a typo on page three or, you know, hey, this policy, did you know there's this gray area that's not really clear? And so 99% of the, the communications I get back have always been helpful and positive. Yeah. I, so a couple of things just to reiterate. I think I love that what you're saying. You got to get out with the people if you can, because I, I know I worked at a pharmaceutical, same kind of thing, right? Like a manufacturing plant, super noisy. In fact, there were some areas like you had, I mean, you had to like suit up with like uh, static lines so you're not going to blow things yeah. up and like just all the things and the computers that they had, there's like, there's no way they're going in for a full multimedia experience, let alone, you know, there's their work environment was, I think it was like three days on, three days off, 12 days, uh, you know, 12 hour shifts. And so like, and maybe they're the only person at the entire plant that could do their job. And so totally makes sense. And then, you know, the, the feedback mechanism, I know it's hard to get that feedback, right? It's, it's sometimes you don't want to hear you made a mistake or something didn't work, but yeah, it seems super, super valuable. And I want to just round back because you said you wanted to stick a pin in the mark, what I said about marketing. So what were yeah. your thoughts uh, about the marketing aspect of it? Well, so, so marketers, I think, do a much better job of, you know, they can't obviously visit everybody, but, but they collect tons of data. And, and, you know, they can see that, you know, you're visiting on a mobile phone in Chrome browser and, right, like they can get all of these details technically. And then beyond that, they'll do focus groups. And even, even a step behind, behind that even is, is building personas. So here are yeah. some representative here are some representations of the people that we are targeting, the people that we're trying to attract. And I think it does a little bit better at kind of humanizing than kind of typical training analysis uh, because it, it sort of recognized like, hey, there's a human that we're really talking to. And sometimes I think it, it can get lost otherwise. And so I, I really like some of the t tools and techniques that marketers use. And, um, you know, I've talked about this a lot. If you think about training and marketers, right? We, we really have a couple of common challenges. We're both trying to get people's attention. And then hopefully once we've got that attention, then we're trying to help them think and, and do something in a different way. And, and I think if you as a whole put training versus marketing, you would see two pretty significantly different approaches. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, I've been in conferences at, and Look, I sit in marketing, so I really have no room to talk here about marketing. But the thing is, I, I at learning and development conferences, I can make the joke like, you know, I work for marketing, you know, the dark side. And that's really not fair. I think it's just like you said, we're, we're th those are different roles, but they're and they're taking different approaches. But at the end of the day, we really have similar 
Like we want people to do things, right? Training is to get an outcome. We want people to change behavior or we want them to um, impact the way they're doing something so it's more efficient, safer, or that they're aware and of like, oh, I have knowledge that this is not a good practice. Like I shouldn't do that. Well, that's, that could be a marketing thing or a training thing, right? Like, so it's, it's interesting. I think there's a lot to learn from the marketing side that um, you're right. And I think, again, like you said, empathy for those folks. And then as we uh, try, try to keep everything straight in my head, Mike, the other thing was uh, empathy. And what did you say what the other thing was? Curiosity. Curiosity. Yeah. We haven't talked about curiosity, but marketers are insanely curious too. And I'm not here to get props to marketers. They're not doing everything right either, but, but like, it's such a valuable thing, right? Like, how do I do this? How do I figure this out? Can we try? What if we did something different? And I, I know I'm guilty of sometimes not being curious enough to go and learn about all the things that I could be doing um, because it takes time. It's hard. So I don't think you have a secret recipe for building curiosity, do you? <laughs> I, no, I don't. I, I, um, although, although, you know, like, like that's another thing that marketers are good at is – you know, you've seen the titles, right? Like six great things to make you the most amazing cook or like whatever, right? Like yeah. one of those six things, or, you know, they'll ask a question like, you know, what's the secret to, you know, the meaning of life, whatever. They're, the the headlines that, that marketers use, right? They, they spend a lot of time crafting those. And it's not an accident that those are the format that they are versus Hey, you know, it's you know, compliance 101. Like it's pretty, nobody cares. It's boring. You're, you're falling asleep before you even get there sort of stuff. But I think marketers understand that to, to capture attention and make things memorable, they've got to tap into some kind of emotion, whether it's curiosity or humor or, or whatever that is. Um, you know, there's, there's a really great book that Stephen Pressfield has. He's a, he's a, he's a writer. And, you know, he says, Streamline your message, pare it down to its its essentials, and then make it funny, humorous, mysterious, like emotional. If you can do those two things, just do that to everything. Yeah, and and everything will be better. Yeah, I mean, what what a great point, right? And I and I know. Um, so we got I've got a colleague Troy Stein. He talks about made to stick. If you've read that book by Dan and Chip Heath, right? Like it's and a lot of their stuff is like you got to hook them in the beginning. You got to get them up front. And I I think it sounds like that you know. And, and again, I'm speaking from my own experience, which is all I can really do is that I. I forget that a lot, right? Like, and I know, I, so I was in a, a webinar earlier today um, and one of the comments from people was that their SMEs, their subject matter experts, want to include everything into a learning course, right? And, but while that's great, they want to share their knowledge and expertise and they have a lot of it, but that doesn't work for learning. It doesn't work because you want to, again, you want to focus, right? Like keep, keep narrowing this in so that we can, just give them the right stuff at the right time. And I think it's hard to remember that when you're like, no, I want to give them, I want to make sure I'm doing enough or giving them everything they're ever going to need. It doesn't seem logical, I guess. Well, and it, it reminds me of what we were talking about before we started, like with your son, right? Like if you would throw everything that, that was involved with coding and setting up Minecraft servers and all that sort of stuff at once, you're like, oh, it's, I guess too much. I can't even, I'm out of here. But if you can say, give them that hook up front and, you know, it's amazing what people will do when they're hooked and motivated that way, intrinsically motivated, is they will go and they'll find it. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like they'll go to YouTube and search discussion forums and they'll figure it out. And it's amazing, you know, when the resources are available, how much that, that, that somebody can do. And they, they may need an expert at certain points here and there, but they don't need, you know, the, the eight hour full day workshop version of that. Right. Right. Like that'd be, that'd be awful. Yeah. So I'm wondering, Mike, and, and if we can speak to this is that, uh, you know, I think I'm trying to frame this question so it makes sense. I, I think, you know, obviously there's lots of approaches you could take. And you mentioned that that intrinsic mo- motivation, right? Like, I think my son learning to set up a Minecraft server or to learn to program in sca- Scratch, totally internally motivated, right? He wanted to do it. It would be fun. I think about a lot of workplace topics. And I can say, categorically, Almost no one's going to say that topic is fun or yeah. motivating. So how do you design? I want to get back to the, let's talk about design a little bit. How do you start thinking about designing for those topics where everyone's like, I, don't, I really don't want to do this? Well, you know, what? one thing is I think you can sort of admit to the fact like, yeah, hey, I get it. This isn't fun, right? Like everybody knows we've got to do our expense reports, right? N- nobody likes it. But but I think everybody can respect like it's a necessary evil, right? And I think, you know, one of the things that, that in a lot of the corporate stuff that I have seen is like it's okay to have some personality, right? Like we got to do it, so why not? Let's have let's make it a little bit fun and amusing or something, right? Like don't just make it like sleep inducing. So I think, you know, put some personality into it. It's it you can still do serious things and have some fun or some personality along the way. So I think that's one thing is just like admit to it. Yeah. This, Hey, this, this sucks. Nobody likes expense reports, but you gotta know how to do it or we're going to get in trouble. Uh, so, so I think that's one thing is just, you know, don't, don't hide behind it. Don't run from it. Yeah. I love that. Embrace it. Right. Like, cause everyone, I, I mean, expense reports is a great example. I can think of lots of compliance training that we could all mention, you know, it's, yeah, it's, like it's really unfortunate that you have to do that, but I love the idea. Just, just let's lean into it. Um, I'm sure it gets a little trickier when it's more sensitive topics. You got to be careful. You don't want to cross any lines. You don't want to do anything offensive. But like expense reports are like I do mine every month, and I hate it every month. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the other thing too is is kind of to the point of not everything has to be training, yeah. right? Like so if you can make the process better. A lot of times that's less expensive and less painful than all of the training you've got to do to go through all of the painful hoops and, you know, unintuitive fl- workflows and all that sort of stuff. You know, these days, right, like take a picture of your receipt, like Expensify or whatever app you're doing and connect that to the place. Well, if the process is that easy, we need maybe a fraction of the training, right? Here's how you get started and here's where to get support and, you know, off you go and, and get back to work. Yeah, and I almost wonder if, from thinking from a design perspective, right, if you were doing this and if it doesn't need to be a training, like, this goes back to when I was in grad school and we talk about, like, uh, systems, right? It's not everything is training. So is there a, is there something that's going to help them to be motivated to do it, right? Can you gamify this? It, does it make sense to do that? And I'm not saying that's what you should do, but, like, looking at all the other potential solutions around that I think a lot of people, training professionals or HR professionals, they could offer this. It just, do you have the motivation and time and wherewithal to want to do it? It seems like at the end of the day, because 
probably easy to make a video about here's how you fill out your expense report. A little bit harder to, to make it like it's feel like it's worthwhile or give me the other pieces I might need to make it like understand its importance even. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that, um, I don't know, are you familiar with, with Thomas Gilbert and his behavior engineering model at all? I, I may have heard of it, but I couldn't talk about it at any length so, at all. So it, it's really fantastic. And, um, it really, the, the essence of it is, is training is one factor that can impact performance. But we have all these other other things like, you know, do they have the right resources? Did we hire the right people? Do they have the right incentives or are there disincentives? Like all of these things that go together to impact that, you know, training is one little corner piece over here. And, you know, normally it's training. Training is rarely by itself sufficient. It's usually some combination of that, maybe and training. But to get out of that box and to, to take a, a bigger, more holistic view of what's happening, so, for example, back to the expense reports, you know, if the company may save some amount of money by people turning their expense reports in early, okay, well, let's make a, like you said, let's make a little competition out of it. So everybody who turns their expense reports in early, you're entered for some sort of nominal, I don't know, prize, whatever, gift card or whatever it is. And my guess is whatever we would give away in those prizes, we would more than save by getting people, so by incentivizing them to turn it in early. And A, or, or B rather, right? Like just the awareness that, oh, we're saving money. So now, right, like I met, maybe I never knew that before because nobody ever told me. So, you know, just training itself can't do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, think outside the slide says, in this new online world, what are some options for getting real-time feedback during a session? Polls are a common approach, but what other options have you found successful? And I think this is a really good question, right? You, you're not just designing the, oh, here's what you're going to learn. Here's the information I'm going to convey. But how do you get that interaction to or from the, the learners, especially in this online world? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really great, great question. I think we have to be a little more planful, right? Like, A, choosing tools that enable it, obviously, right? Because if it's not there, it's impossible. But I think we've got to force ourselves to check in more often, so in, in a classroom, right, like you can see those faces that when people look like they're lost or have a question or you can see you can see on their face. And even in Zoom, right, like if you have a lot of people, it's hard to, to it's just not the same. You can't track that as, as easily. So, um, you know, I think you've got to be more planful on uh, having having somebody help you is also another thing. Right. Like if you're if you're in these type of online things, like somebody who can watch the chat and watch the faces, right? Like a, yeah. a producer type person is if it's, it's a, it's a luxury, but it's, it's really, I think a really huge benefit. Um, so yeah, so that and being more planful, I don't know that there's a, you know, a magic app that solves all of that. If there is, I would love to hear what it is. Um, but certainly, you know, polling tools and, you know, keeping people engaged and, and interacting right? Like interaction of the type that's happening in their brain and not just clicking buttons type, type of interaction. So I think those are a couple of, a couple of important things, but it's, it's a constant challenge and it's, and it's, 
everybody's getting tons of practice now <laughs> these days, right? <laughs> well, so hopefully yeah. we're going to see a trend towards better. Well, and I think it's about a little bit, for me, I think it feels like it's a little bit about being creative about those in, in interactions and engagements. Like, And I, I love the world, uh, I don't remember the exact word you said, but I loved it because it was like being purposeful, being thoughtful about it, being mindful that you're actually building that in. And it's so easy to, to just skip over, especially I think in online because like, oh, I will never, like if it's a, a pre-recorded or, you know, on demand, I'll never see their faces. It's not like even, you know, like you said about Zoom, I, maybe I'll never see their faces. I'll never see their reactions. I'll never get real time in the moment feedback, but it seems like there are things you could do beyond just a poll. I think I love knowledge checks, not for the purpose of testing your knowledge, but for like, are you understanding? Cause like, like you said, I think I could get that from your face. Like I'm very, conf- they're very confused. Maybe I need to clarify, but at least a knowledge check, I can start to see like, oh my gosh, so many people are getting this wrong and not blame them, but blame me. <laughs> like, oh, this is a crappy question. This, or yeah, this right. information didn't really answer that question. And so is it the question that's bad or is it that the knowledge didn't convey? And uh, my experience on the Camtasia certification, we've seen this, we've had to go adjust questions because Questions and answers are cute. Like doing that's hard, but I think it's another, just another thought point to say like polls aren't the only thing, get them to do projects, get them to to do kind of other things as well, I think. And that, and that raises another point, right? Like I think as, as we're moving this direction, we're forced to move this direction, right? Like we shouldn't just be taking our classroom stuff and putting it online now without stopping to pause because there are things like, you know, polls and questions and assessment things that, that in some regards we can do easier online, right? Like it's easier to give a, a really quick poll to everybody here. It's easier online than it would be in a classroom, maybe. And, and so, so, so there's some affordances that we have. And I think just slamming everything online is, is a mistake. Yeah. And not taking the opportunity to say, okay, maybe there's some parts that we can do asynchronously before we come together or after or whatever and reevaluating, you know, what's that mix and what works in which place. And um, so I I hope that's another thing that we see a a trend in as we, as we get more practice. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to our next question, Mike, from our audience. Laura asks, what evaluation method do you prefer most? Do you rely upon quantitative data? So as you're looking at the results, is there evaluation methods that you like to use when you're looking at how I'm guessing how successful courses are, if it's working or not? Yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's another one. I don't, I don't have any silver bullet to it, but I think <laughs> it, it, you know, starting with what are your objectives, right? So if it's filling out expense reports, you know, you would hopefully see that we have a metric that, you know, incorrectly completed expense reports is trending down or we we have some performance outcome that we can point to and say, okay, this is making a difference. And then sort of working back from that. So I think it depends on what type of goals you have and then matching that up to the, to, to the appropriate things. And then, you know, sometimes there, there are projects where you just don't have access to the data. We, we feel like this is going to make a difference, but you know, I can't say that this sales course makes me a better salesman directly. Uh, you know, relationship building, we think is a positive correlation to sales, but I don't have a direct link and, and some of those are fuzzy and, and more difficult, I think. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, and I, I would say, I mean, just my, my advice, and um, I, I agree with you, there's no silver, silver bullet here, is not only look at the objectives, did, you know, reduce amount of errors, but like, what other outcomes do you want from that? Like, did you, you know, just understand, really understand what you're trying to get at? Because I, as much as you should have like one outcome, like, oh, it should do one thing, because I think that's the only way you can get it focused enough. Like, did you speed them up? Did did you make them happier doing it? Like those, and those are really hard to measure, but sometimes that just takes a like, Hey, Mike, I'd like to talk. I, I noticed you filled out your expense report and you went through the training. What was your experience with that? Like, I think the quantity, the qualitative sometimes is really valuable because it, you know, people will tell you stuff that maybe you're not getting from the data or it's just hard to get from the data. So Laura, I hope that, I hope that helps. Um, and she actually follows up with a question, Mike. She says, thank you. How do you feel about uh, confidence level surveys? Like, and I'm assuming confidence level is like, do you feel more confident now that you've taken this training? And Laura, correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, to me, that sounds sort of like a, a kind of a psychometric kind of kind of question, which not my area of expertise at all. I, <laughs> for what little bit I know, like I think there's some validity to that for the right, um, for the right context. Um, the other thing that that you kind of touched on there um, before that follow-up question, you know, w- with asking people, I think there is a lot of value in a learning context for just facilitating conversations with people. So it may not be the instructor facilitator, but, you know, it's like being at a conference at a workshop. Sometimes the most value you get is the conversation you had at lunch with somebody else in the class. And so I think that's another important thing that we should be doing is helping people find each other and facilitating conversations. Yeah, I love that because I know, I think I've been at conferences with you where we've just sat and chatted and that felt way more valuable. I, and not that the, that sounds terrible. The conference wasn't valuable at all, but, yeah, no, but, no, but it's no. like, you're, it's that, I think, so it's the process that you take it in and then it's giving you a chance to process, right? Like, and we don't often design for that. We don't design for the time to process this information because, and we might in a group classroom, like, oh, get together with your peers and three people and talk about what you learned. And that's always so contrived, but like actually getting together with someone and that has mutual interest and you're, you're not worried about them judging you if you say something dumb. I don't know how to build that. I don't know how to make that happen. But when I've experienced it, I think to what you said, that's the times I've learned probably more than just sitting in a an hour long session or you know taking an online class. It's like, no, let me tell you about let me tell you about this really cool thing I learned. And then they're like, no, 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 what about this? And you're like, oh yeah, it's just a back and forth. This just that's yeah. when it gets exciting. Yeah, yeah, those are awesome. And then there's there's absolutely an element of serendipity in there, right? Like you know, crossing paths and all that sort of stuff. But when we're, when we're looking at everybody working remotely and the digital platforms, right? Like, like some of the ideas out of John Stepper's, you know, working out loud kind of concept, just the fact that I'll go back to my power plant experience, right? Like there's some pretty unique machinery in some of those power plants. And there may be a guy in Virginia who is doing the same job as a guy in Texas and neither of the two know that they exist but they can really help each other out a lot and not be solving the same problems over and over just by, Oh, Hey, you know, John has solved this before. I know he has the answer. Let me call him. Right. Like, so just, you know, making visible 
jobs and roles and what you're working on is another thing that I think that, that gives a lot of value that people don't often think about. Well, and it seems like that those are hard things for uh, whether you're HR, L&D, HR maybe a little bit more, but like an, an L&D department to really, learning development to really be able to facilitate. And it, like I said, because you, you don't want to control, like the last thing you want to do is the opposite as a contrived experience to try to set that up where it fails, because I feel like those are the worst. And maybe that's just yep. me, because I Absolutely. My, nope, my introvert absolutely. self says, no, thank you. I don't want to talk to, I'll talk to Mike because I know Mike, but I don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> new. <laughs> but I, but and you're right, right? Like we, it can't be contrived and, and it may be somewhat beyond the scope. But I think, I think as L&D people, we should make our best attempt to model this type of stuff. So, you know, sharing what you're working on, you know, what's, what's happening in your world sort of stuff. And, and, and I agree, like, I don't, I don't want, you know, random people in the middle of my day, like asking me how to make a PowerPoint, you know, whatever the question is you get, but I'm pretty confident that if those two equipment operators called each other and like, Hey, have you ever had this problem, you know, with the flux capacitor that that conversation will benefit both of them. And I would say nine times out of 10 that he'd be happy to have that conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's different and it's not, and, and again, to get back to where we sort of started with that is, is there's, there's definitely uh, a chance element involved and we're just trying to sort of tip the odds in our favor as much as we can, I think. No, I think, I think that, I think that's great. And I, I, I appreciate this discussion because it helps me remember that when we're designing for learning, uh, you know, as someone who makes a lot of some learning and it's a lot of video, which I think is an important element to think about, like what media you're going to use and stuff like it's thinking about that bigger, broader picture that learning is not just happening necessarily in a single video. There's always context that surrounds that. I mean, I'm even thinking about like when, um, you know, we've got a lot of people who make videos for just for YouTube that are, uh, you know, we've got we interviewed some of them actually in the Texan Academy. And even when they're making their tutorials, they're not just making a like, oh, you're going to learn about this. And they're, they're thinking it's still about their audience. They're thinking about the context that's going to be viewed in every home video that I've ever like home improvement video I've ever watched has a context in mind around like when someone going to do this task, your fan stopped working, you're going to fix it. Right. Like, or, right, or whatever. Right. So it makes, it makes total sense. And I think it's a great message as we're thinking about this process of designing for learning is it's not just about the thing you want someone to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Your, your YouTube comment reminded me, you know, when all of the late night hosts were started to broadcast from their home, right? Like I saw this really fantastic, I can't remember who it is name now, but you, a big YouTube guy, and he's critiquing all of these guys filming at home and telling them all the things they're doing wrong. They're like, come on, man, get with the program. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's just kids sitting in his living room. That's really, but it was, it was spot on though. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Mike going, we, we've talked about that curiosity. We've talked about the, you know, understanding your audience, uh, some other things, at some point when you're designing and learning, you got to start to build stuff, right? Like you've done all your now, you've done all your upfront work and then it comes down to design and development. Um, and there's a million different paths someone could go through depending on what they're going to build. But what advice would you give to anyone watching and listening about like where to go with that design and development piece of it? Because I mean, it's, 
it's so important to, to you got to make something like you got to deliver something, whether it's a workshop, a workbook, a, you know, a handout, a job aid, a, whatever it might be. And, and, and I'm keeping it intentionally broad because I, I don't want to say like, hey, well, Mike, let's talk about video. But like, just yeah. how do you think about that? that part of the process and what advice do you have for someone that's starting to make a project if they were doing it say today? Yeah, I, I think, I think that one of the most important things is it comes down to sort of how can I be the most helpful? How can I be helpful in the most efficient way? Right? Like if, if I need somebody to do their expense report, what's the least I can do effectively that will help them get the job done the right way, right? Like if I can do it in two minutes, uh, I'm not gonna take five. If I can do it in five minutes, I'm not gonna take 20, right? Like it's that, you know, one of, one of, the, one of the workshops I always ask, you know, what, what do people wish they could steal from marketers? And one of my favorite answers I've ever gotten is that efficiency of messaging, right? Like yeah. it's amazing what a, a marketer can tell you in a 15 second or 30 second commercial and like just trying to channel that, like always be helpful and, you know, be snappy about it, right? Like get in, get out and, and move on with your day. I think that's really the heart of, of what for me is, is, is good, good learning. Now we've got all these other things surrounding that that we talked about, but when you get down to building, right, I think, I think that's, that's a, a big thing for me. No, I, and I, I, it's interesting because when you said that, the thing I started thinking about is like marketers, particularly uh, pre-internet, right? Were forced to be like, you had a 15 second spot or a 30 second spot or a 60 second spot if you had money, uh, but like they were really forced <laughs> by those constraints to get really good at that. And those kind of, I think those lessons get passed on and, and the internet's changed things a little bit, but still like they know they only have so much time. Whereas, you know, and I, I, I worry about someone getting the wrong message. I'm not saying go make your training all be 30 seconds long. Because oh. I think it's wrong, but to your point of like, let's let's trim out the fat here. What do you really need to know? Because then, if they need, if there's something else that extra, like put that in the notes, put that in a different slide deck, put that like that that because that content can exist. But I love this idea of like, let's just trim it down. Like how efficiency of message is such a good idea. Um, you know, we get, we like, how many, how many lessons have you sat through Mike that, that gave you the learning objectives up front as part of the too many, too many, and too many, there's value, I'm done. there's value in those learning <laughs> objectives, but not necessarily as part of the course. Right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the other piece that goes with that, right. Like if we're, if we're doing these or sort of right sized pieces, I think there's, there's two factors that kind of help people. Some people are uncomfortable with cutting things too small or too finely, but I think if you if you make your content so that it can move, that it can be shared, right? Like think about the the world's greatest e-learning course that's giving you the meaning of life, and it's locked away in an LMS, and nobody can share it, right? Like that has much less value than hey, I found this and I can one or two clicks and get it to my colleague or my friend or whatever. So that whole concept of, you know, how can that content move? How can it be shared is super important, I think. And then the thing that goes hand in hand with that, with it being able to be shared is then that gets back to conversations, 
right? Hey, you should, you, you're working on something like this. This would be helpful for that. You know, is this how this works? Right. And so by the fact of being able to share it and talk about it easily without having to be in the same room, I, I think those things all go together to make really valuable uh, stuff. When you were saying that, one of the things that made me wonder about, and I don't think this is a word is going to answer, but like as an adult, I off, like I have to seek out learning that is sometimes related to my job. Sometimes it's like the home stuff or whatever. But I wonder if that's why YouTube is is growing in terms of being a, a search engine about how to, because I, it is easily shareable. It's easily findable. And of course, in a corporate environment, you're going to have stuff that's going to be contrived. Like you're going to have to take compliance training. You're going to have to take, you know, that sexual harassment training or discriminate, you know, making sure you're not being a, discriminating or whatever security things. But I, I wonder if organizations kind of could open up the drawer a little bit to, to learning and make that, sh that if there's a way to do this, and I don't know that there is a good way to do it, but make that learning flow a little bit more from a receiving side, but also a creation side if that would really open up people's abilities to learn and to understand kind of like, and grow just because that's, I mean, I think that's what learning is about is growing their skills, abilities, capabilities, you know, in lots of different ways. I, 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 I think, A, I think there, it is possible. I, I agree. There are absolutely things that need to be locked down and kept private and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it's as much as maybe all the compliance people probably say, um, so there, there, I think there's opportunity there if you are curious and, and look for those ways. Um, I, I think there's also an opportunity, you know, I can tell you I've seen multiple, any, any more than one is too many, you know, internal people building something about how to do uh, something in Excel. Well, why are you building that, right? Like, right. Because there's, there's a hundred that are better than whatever you're going to build like just grab one and, and pull it in, like curate that stuff. And that's another thing I think, right? Training people, our budgets, like we never have big budgets to start with. Maybe we may be seeing some increase based on what's happening now. Hopefully if you still have a job, that's the challenge, right? But like, like we typically have to meter the way we use our resources and we have to be smart about it. So don't build an Excel course, go find something that works and spend your time and, and hours on more valuable things. And it's, it's this whole big, you know, reshuffling of the puzzle of what we're doing and how we're doing it and all that sort of stuff that I think there's a lot of opportunities there, especially in the context of, you know, what we're facing now. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, what a great idea, right? Like that, that curation is such an important piece that it gets overlooked because I know, and I'm, I'm super, uh, guilty of this is I like to build my stuff. <laughs> like I want to be the one that builds it and you get to be the hero, but that's, I'm not an expert in Excel. I couldn't build that course nearly as well. Like one of our guests uh, a couple weeks ago, he, that's what he does. He makes Excel videos on YouTube and he's really good at it. So yeah, it makes, makes total sense. And I, you know, and, and there may be, there may be some unique, the, the very unique expense reporting system at TechSmith is a really certain thing you have to do in Excel and you could do a two minute screencast for somebody, right? Like it, you're not teaching them in Excel, you're teaching them this unique thing, yeah. but you know, I'm not going to overproduce stuff that I don't need to overproduce. I think is, is kind of the point.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, I want to go to a couple other questions because we have two in the queue and I want to get to it. And uh, this has been an awesome conversation, uh, but let's let's do this. So first one, think, uh, think outside the slide.com says, in creating my video content, I have found that writing the accompanying article first has helped me force me to get clear on what I need to teach. Do you have a sequence that you follow? So obviously, great, great thing, right? Like they're writing the article. So that's the body of the content. So that everything that needs to get shared. And then they're going to then taking that to use to create their video. Do you have a process that you use? Yeah. So, sounds like mine is similar to his. Um, if that's who I think it is, he does very good videos, really good stuff, by the way. Um, so hi, Dave, if that's you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I typically start with an outline too, right? Like you get an idea. And I think there's some value to me as well of getting your thoughts out. Some people can do this on the fly and I'm not one of those people. Um, you know, some people are incredible about, you know, they just, they just ad hoc through it and it's amazing, but I don't have that skill set, So I've got to get it out on paper and plot. Okay. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And I want to, and it's not so much of a full script maybe, but it's talking points. So it sort of stays kind of natural. Um, but yeah, getting things on paper for me are, are a must. Otherwise it's just a hot mess. Unless, yeah. Unless I, unless I'm going to go back and do a lot of heavy editing. Right. And then right. this case, right. Then the, the timeline, you know, takes a lot longer. So it's more efficient to me to get it down up front than try to clean it up in the back. And, uh, uh, they say, thanks, Mike. And it is who you said it was. So, okay. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me, I think, you know, uh, I do a lot of ad hoc stuff just cause I'm live every week. And, uh, I think, but I, even like when my presentations, like an hour long presentation, I'm going to do, I build up my slides. Like I, I know what those slides represent. I know what they are. I sometimes have more detailed notes or less detailed notes, depending on what the, that particular slide is. But yeah, I mean, you got to get that stuff out. And I think it's a good thinking way to think of like, boxing kind of putting the frame around what is the knowledge and then anything that doesn't fit in that box you can toss it out you can say nope that's that's outside the bounds of what this box contains and i so it makes a, a lot of sense and uh, powerpoint powerpoint if you're if you're working in powerpoint like that's that's what i like to work in the most because it's almost like index cards right where you can move them around and you can use sections and so that's to me as a form of outlining, like I know I want to hit these three sections and then I can drop in details and move them around. And, and that's, that's, that's a really great uh, workflow that I like to do. Yeah. It's amazing with all the things that PowerPoint, it gets a bad name, but it's amazing all the things you can use it for and the ways you can use it. So it's a, uh, it's, it's really a great tool if you're not using it for that purpose, even storyboarding and all sorts of things. I'm a huge fan of PowerPoint. So in the right hands, it's a, uh, it's not PowerPoint that's the problem. It's the operators. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our next question. And uh, this is Jason Vallad. And Jason says, what does engagement mean to you in an online learning environment? Oh, gosh. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of, it sounds a little broad to me. Um, I, I think, it, you know, if you have people participating, sort of leaning in, right? Like what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, you're, you're, you're giving them the hook. You're, you're showing them the what's in it for me, why I'm here. Um, you know, as opposed to running through the objectives and we're going to do this and we're going to this, like just get right to it. Um, and I think in online things, you can also tell there's some, depending on what platform you're, you're in or what tool you're using, like you get some activity metrics, 
that's that's one easy indicator, right? Like, so if you're having a lot of conversations and people are looking at page views or wh whatever those kind of metrics, those are those are the easiest probably to look at. And then uh, you know, then there's sort of a subjective thing of, of you know if you're actually in there and and one of the participations, right? Like you can kind of tell, you can sense it. Right. Like it, it, are, are people being active and engaging in conversation and stuff like that? So that's probably not a great, great answer. So I don't know if he if there's any any other like particular slant to that or not. Well, um, I can let you know, Jason is a colleague of mine at TechSmith. So. OK, OK, OK. So, so the, <laughs> you didn't say Camtasia Interactive Hotspots quizzing. I mean, it's the wrong answer then, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, if, I, I Go ahead. The from the stuff that I see that you and the rest of, you know, your uh, uh, tech smithian uh, colleagues, right? Like, I think you guys had a pretty good sense of, uh, of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, you guys might ask yourselves that question because you guys do a lot of really great stuff. Well, and I think engagement's, engagement's going to be hard, especially in a, a, an asynchronous or non-same-time environment, right? Like, figuring out what those things are. But, I, I mean... If I had, you know, and no one has unlimited budget, but if I could do things like, you know, get people to do projects and bring things back, you know, like just building in touch points with the, the instructor or with other teachers, like we, t or with other people that were in the class, those all to me ring as powerful mediums. I mean, I think even a simple fact that Jason was able to answer, ask a question, we were able to answer it in real time. It, you know, it's, it's a micro engagement. Is it the best engagement? No, probably not, but it, it's it's something, and I'm sure he probably likes that a lot more than just sitting and listening because he's now part of the show. He's part of what we're doing. Absolutely, and then you know, I, I don't know how close you look at that, but the, you know, we may post this next week. Somebody builds on a question that somebody else had. That you know, that's one of the the benefits of doing things openly and online, right? Like it doesn't just happen to happen today; it could happen sometime in the future, and. Somebody may find some value there, right? And it's it's not just lost because they weren't here today. Yeah, absolutely. And with that said, if people do have questions, we do monitor the comments. And if you have comments on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're watching this, leave a comment. We we do respond. I try to respond to those personally, and uh, or text someone from TechSmith. We'll get to you, and we'll, we try to answer questions. Well, Mike, we're about a time to wrap up with you. We got a, a segment we're going to do right after this with after we're done with Mike. But Mike, any last parting words of advice or anything you would want to let the audience know about? designing for learning that we haven't already talked about? No, I, I think uh, just circling back to the very beginning there, like just always try to be curious and don't just go with the status quo, like look for, you know, ask that what if question, you know, what if we did this or what if we did something different and it may not always work out and you may sometimes fall back to sort of the, the standard approaches. But I think if you can always consistently ask that question, that, that over time you're going to find better solutions. And then if you're doing that in conjunction with, right, like doing your best to understand who's on the other end. So who are you going to be speaking to or who are you helping to work better, whatever the case might be. I think, I think those are two pretty powerful things to, uh, to operate on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. Uh, I mean, it's always great to talk to you, first of all. You're such a great person and so knowledgeable. If you guys haven't seen Mike's stuff, go. He's got his, we got his website right 
down below him, uh, mike-taylor.org. He puts, you put out so much great stuff and someday maybe we just have to talk about that process of, you know, how, how you yeah. get it all out because it's guys, Mike really puts out a lot of stuff and he's not getting anything out of it. I don't think just sharing what he's reading, what he's learning. Um, and it's, I mean, Mike is, he's one of our gem, the gems of the industry and someone I'm grateful to, to know and, and get to ch- chat with on occasion. So Mike, thank you very much. 